Good morning. The reading today comes from Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for the joy that you have brought into our lives. We experience it in so many different ways, and we experience it to different degrees and different measures, and yet we hope in your promises that full joy is coming because of what you, Jesus, have done for us and what you will come to do for us with certainty. We pray that you would meet us wherever we are this morning with the promises of your presence. We pray that you would fill us up with your peace and with your grace. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the one who has come and will come again. Amen. I do hope that this season of Advent for you has been a season of joy and happiness, but I suspect if you're like me, even those moments of joy and happiness uh, are not full and complete. They come tinged with sadness. They come tinged with challenge. We in my household had a great weekend. Last weekend, my mother was in town, and my Aunt Lucia and my Aunt Mary Lou were in town as well. And on Saturday night, we were up playing a game. What's the game called, Kate? The Bubble Talk? Bubble Talk. I don't know if you've ever played this game. It is so fun. There's pictures that are interesting and a little bit strange and unique. And then there's cards with different 
quips that might describe best or not best that picture. And so the idea is to try and match up the quip with the picture and see who comes up with the funniest one. And somebody is judging. It's just a ton of fun. And so for me, that evening was an experience of Advent joy. We were just having fun with the game. But there were deeper levels for me. I was getting to experience uh, ants who have been important to me in my life when I was my kid's age. And so I was experiencing that joy of nostalgia and relationship. And then there was another level of watching my kids get to enjoy my aunts in the same way that I did so many years ago. And so there was that third level of joy. It was just a wonderful evening. It felt to me like a gift of God's joy in Advent. And then in the midst of playing this game and belly laughing, one of my aunts says, I'm going to die laughing. I know I will. One of these days, I'm going to die from laughter. And even that was funny in a gallows humor sort of way. And yet, there was also some sadness tinged to it because it was a reminder that even these moments of joy are going to come with pain and with hardship. Advent is that season in the Christian calendar when those of us who are either exploring who Jesus is or those of us who have found Jesus to be our Savior, the one who has come from God to bring the fullness of our joy. In Advent, we recognize that Jesus has come, right? Kids, that's what we celebrate. of The baby being born in a manger to Mary and Joseph, the greatest of the Bible stories we get to remember at Christmas time. We celebrate that Jesus has come. And so joy is real because he's done true business with sin and death. And yet we recognize that he has to come again. And he promises that he will. And we experience that tension of the enjoyment and the celebration and yet the longing for completeness. Advent is that time of the year in which we have both. We have fulfillment and yet we have longing. And Nowhere is that more clear in our experienced lives than when it comes to joy and happiness. And so Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, is our guide to joy this morning in this portrait in Isaiah 35 that he paints of what happens when God will come in the person of Jesus in full. And so he shows us that there's a journey toward joy, right? It's not complete yet, and so we need to get there. If you're a note taker, that's the first point that you want to scribble. There's a journey toward joy. And then the second point is, how will we get there? And the answer is, God is bringing judgment for joy. There's a journey toward joy, and then there's judgment for joy. You see in this poem that there is a journey that's happening. There's a highway in verse 8 that will be there from where we are to where we need to be. The highway is the way called holiness. And this highway is taking us where? It's taking us to the presence of God himself where we will find joy. Joy is the destination of the Christian life. Or is it? A few weeks back, we had an Elf viewing party with the college students. And if you've never seen the movie Elf, it's a wonderful Christmas movie. It's definitely not a Christian movie. There's some irreverencies in it, but it is hilarious. And I dare you to watch that movie and not experience a little taste of joy. 
Now, Buddy the Elf is a human who has grown up in the North Pole, but he realizes that he's not actually an elf, and he gets sent to New York City to find his dad. And Buddy the Elf is just one happy dude. Like, that's what you get over and over in this movie, that Buddy takes great joy in life. He goes to work at this Macy store that's decked out for Christmas, and the worker there takes one look at him, and the worker says, what's on your face? And he says, what do you mean, what's on my face? Like that smile thing. What's going on with your smile? And Buddy says, I just like to smile. Smiling is my favorite. Right? That's how Buddy goes through life. He goes to a coffee shop, and this is New York City, and he sees the picture on the window, world's best cup of coffee. And so he walks into the coffee shop, and I mean, it's just full of these despondent people who are filled with the humdrum of the season. And he walks in, he says, you did it! Congratulations! And everybody looks up like, what is this guy talking about? He says, world's best cup of coffee! Great job, everybody! Well done! (laughs) Buddy believes that the destination in life is joy, right? His version is Christmas cheer. And the antagonist of sorts in the movie Elf is Buddy's dad, who is this beat-down businessman in New York City, who's world-weary and street-tough and just filled with resignation. And he would say that the destination of life is as good as you can make it, but it's not going to be that good. Certainly not joy. Is the destination of a life lived with God in his world joy? And Isaiah the prophet says, absolutely Absolutely it is, and joy that you can't even imagine. Look with me again at verse 10. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah doesn't so much define joy with a dictionary definition. He describes joy in the terms, in the paints of a poet. He paints a picture of joy that gets beyond the joy that we have in our fleeting everyday moments right now. But his point is very clear. We will get to joy. In fact, that phrase, they shall obtain gladness and joy literally is translated you will overtake joy it's the sense that joy is always just a step away just over the horizon and what isaiah says is you will get there you will overtake it and you will have it it will be yours because god will make this highway for you to get there this is the best kind of joy This is an everlasting joy, he says, right? It's a joy that isn't just for the moment and then it goes away. A moment of laughter that's followed by a moment of tears. This is everlasting joy. He says this is a fullness of joy, right? Joy and gladness. He stacks the words on top of each other as if to say this is joy that goes down deep in ways that you haven't yet experienced, a fullness of joy that will will be yours. It's not like the happiness that we seek out that has diminishing returns attached to it. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, 
I love biscuits. So I decided rather than spend eight bucks for a biscuit in Austin every time I want to go out and have one, I'll just make a batch of biscuits. And so I did that. I got to have a dozen biscuits all to myself. I was like, well, I'm going to pace myself, and I'm going to eat these biscuits over the course of two or three days. And the first biscuit was pretty darn good, I have to say. So was the second biscuit. And by the time I got to the last biscuit, I was just eating it because I felt like I had made this deal with myself and I had to. But it was utterly tasteless. I had no desire left for this biscuit, right? We seek after happiness and it has diminishing returns. That's not the kind of joy that we're going to have when we reach our destination. The kind of joy that Isaiah paints the picture of is a joy that every time you taste it, it's even better than the last taste that you had. Friends, this is a joy that is undiminished by anything that would cut into it. Kids, are you excited about having two weeks off for school for the Christmas holidays? Anybody excited to have two weeks off? I love when we get to have a vacation. The best part of vacation is the first six or seven days. The worst part of vacation is those last few days before we go back to school, right? Because you're in the middle of the joy but that joy is being cut into by the sure knowledge that school is coming again. And some of you take great joy in school and you can't wait to get back to school and that's awesome too. But where we're going, whatever the joy is, there will be no sadness, no sorrow, no joy but. No joy for a little bit, but a fullness of joy. And not just joy for you, while you watch your neighbor experience circumstances in life that bring them sorrow. And not even just joy for all of the people that end up in this destination that God has for us. No, did you notice verse 1? This poem is bookended with visions of joy. And verse 1 says this, The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Even the made world that God has given us is going to rejoice in that day. Friends, the destination is indeed joy. And yet, that destination demands a journey because you know and I know that we're not there yet. That though Jesus has come, he must come and bring his fullness. But Isaiah paints a picture of a journey, a journey from desert-like circumstances to garden-like circumstances. Did you catch that? In his description, he talks about wastelands and burning sands. He talks about barrenness. He talks about lame and blind and mute people. He talks about a reality of experiences, of our experience that is a world that is not yet, not yet what it ought to be, not yet what we're longing for it to be, not yet the kind of world that would lead to experiences of joy. Right? Eugene Peterson's quote is apt. We can't manufacture joy. We try to do it with happiness. We think that the right present under the tree, kids, will bring us joy. And it brings us happiness for a little while, but it just points us to something deeper because it's not enough. And we can buy all the presents we want and try and manufacture joy that way and it won't work. 
We can go to the best restaurants that Austin has to offer. And you can't manufacture joy. Happiness can last for a time. But the joy that God is inviting us toward can't be manufactured. It has to come as a byproduct of the life that we long for. This garden life of fullness and flourishing and well-wateredness. And we recognize, don't we, that we're not quite there yet to one degree or another. We're looking for a world in which all is right, in which rejuvenation is happening, in which the reversals of all the way that our lives are moving away from who we're supposed to be are happening. We're looking for a world in which we ourselves, as people made in the image of God, are transformed. We're looking for a world in which our relationships are restored to the fullness of health. We're looking for a world in which the made world is no longer characterized by desert-like conditions. And we're longing for a world in which our relationship with God itself will no longer, at times, feel like a desert experience. Friends, we could preach a whole sermon series on what that will look like. We dipped our toes in last week, and we're going to move on. But the point is, we recognize, don't we, that we're not there yet. And so, we respond, don't we, to verses 3 and 4, the fulcrum in this poem. As we're given a vision of what could be, we recognize where we are. And so we're so glad that God recognizes that as well. and says, strengthen the weak hands, because some of us recognize that what we're trying to accomplish is falling short. Make firm the feeble knees. Some of us recognize that our stability in life feels like sinking sand right now. Say to those who have anxious hearts, can anybody relate to that? Do not fear. Friends, God speaks into our lives this Advent season, recognizing that Christ has come and yet He must come again. There is a not quite there-ness. And so we recognize we need to be on the highway. We need to be on a journey from where we are to where we long to be. And we can't snap our finger and be there in an instant. Jamie Smith is a pastor and theologian, and he says this. I think it reflects on our experience. Baptism isn't a capsule that transports us to the end of the road. Conversion is not an arrival at our final destination. It's the acquisition of a compass. He says, beware of the spiritual types who roll up in a DeLorean promising time travel to a pristine future. That's a Back to the Future reference if you didn't get it. And we want that, don't we? We want to be able to hop into the DeLorean and be there on the other side of the challenge and the frustration and the pain that cuts into our experience of joy. And yet God says, I know where you are. I'm with you there. I'm going to get you where you long to go. And he gives us this encouragement. Here's how I'm going to do it. Friends, where are you this morning in your Advent experience? Some of you are indeed filled with joy and gladness. And I am 
truly glad for you. Maybe you have for the first time had an experience of the reality of who God is for you, and you're on cloud nine. Maybe you're looking forward to your time with friends and family, and Christmas for you is going to be rejuvenating and life-giving, and you're excited. Maybe you're done with your finals, and you can look around and see your classmates and your friends, and they're stressed out, and you're good because you're done, and you're just happy. I'm happy for you. Truly, I am. Some of us in here are missing our joy. And our Advent is characterized primarily, almost fully, by hurt and by sadness. Some of us who have lost loved ones, we're going to be facing Christmas for the first time without them. That's hard. Do you remember in the movie Elf, the angry elf? The angry elf is one of the funniest scenes, and yet... As I've reflected on it this week, it's actually a very tragic scene as well. The angry elf is a little person who's a gifted writer. And so he comes, he's into a meeting to give them a pitch for a children's book. And Buddy the elf is in the room. And of course, he sees the little person. He's never seen a little person before. He thinks he's an elf. And so he greets his fellow elf warmly. And of course, the angry elf doesn't appreciate being called an elf. Why? Because he's been called an elf his entire life. What does he say? He says, you feeling strong, friend? Call me an elf one more time. It's funny, and it's not. Because he's been called an elf over and over and over again to the point that life is miserable for him. Right? He's not experiencing joy He's resigned to a life of, I'm going to carve out my identity and my accomplishments, and it's going to be miserable, but it's the best I got. And that's where some of us are this morning. Friends, wherever you are, know that God promises a future that is filled with his joy, and he's going to get us there. And verse 4b tells us exactly how, and this is our second point. There is a journey toward joy, and then there is a judgment for your joy. Again, we're encouraged to say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not, because behold your God, and look at the kind of God who is coming for you. He is coming with vengeance, and with the recompense of God, He will come and He will save. And some of us read that like, whoa, 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 I thought we were talking about joy this Advent season. I didn't know we were talking about recompense and judgment. And this makes us a little bit uncomfortable that we're talking about a God who judges. I thought we wanted to talk about a God who loves us and brings us joy. And we are talking about a God who loves us. And we are talking about a God who's bringing us joy. But the truth is, for God to bring us joy, He must judge. He must. If you're that angry elf, for you to have joy, God must judge the conditions in this world that lead people to mock other people because of what they look like on the outside. My family and I had a wonderful joyful time 
yesterday serving sandwiches at Mobile Loaves and Fishes. We enjoyed the company. We enjoyed being outside. We enjoyed the opportunity to do something good. And yet, we did not enjoy the reality of the circumstances in which we were enjoying ourselves, that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of human beings made in God's image who were living in a world with conditions that would leave them on the streets, cut off from real relationship, cut off from resources, cut off from the mental health that they need, cut off from the wholeness of life that they need, cut off from the shelter that they need. And for those men and women to experience joy in the way that God is painting this picture for them, God must judge. And so verse 4 is actually an incredible encouragement and hope for those of us who are on the receiving end of hurt in this world. God must do something about all the things in this life unleashed by our sin and rebellion that have turned this into a world in which joy is impinged upon so strongly, so radically. God must judge, and he promises that he will judge, and this is good news. And I trust that you can receive it that way this morning. And maybe you're filled with his comfort right now. And maybe you're like me, and you're feeling a little bit twitchy right now. Because you're recognizing that there's a paradox built into this, right? If God is going to come and judge everything that is arrayed against his good purposes, how is he not going to come and judge me at the same time? Because in our moments of honesty, we recognize not only are we on the receiving end of these hurts and sorrows, sometimes we're the perpetrator as well. My family and I on Friday night went down to San Antonio to uh, experience the Behold the Lamb concert that Andrew Peterson put on. If you've never had a chance to see that show, you should really do it. It's a wonderful time. And he had a number of musicians with him on the stage. And one was a young woman named Jess Ray. And she was going to sing one of her songs. And she introduced the song And she talked about an experience with one of her good friends in which she just decided that in this conversation they were having, she needed to escalate it to an argument and then to a fight because she needed to be right. And she said this. She said, I didn't want to be alone. I just wanted to be right. I didn't want to be alone. I just wanted to be right. And her point was that in her quest and in her pride to be right, She robbed not only her her friend of her friend's joy, she robbed herself of the relationship that she enjoyed. She was the one who was destroying the joy for her friend and for herself. Can you relate to that? As we look at this vision and we find our way into this picture, are you asking, am I on that highway? Who gets to be on that highway? It's a way of holiness. I don't know that I'm holy enough to be on this highway. Did you notice that Isaiah leaves it ambiguous until the very end? And at the very end, he says, this will be a highway for who? For the redeemed. For the redeemed. For the ones 
for whom God gave his very life to purchase their freedom from their own worst selves. One of the great, great Christmas lines of all time was from the angelic host to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Do you remember this? They say to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, that is the Messiah, the Lord, that is the King. And every good Jew knew what that meant. The one who is going to come and wipe out the wicked and bring in the joy. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Hinting at a humility that we may not have been looking for, but hinting at something even deeper. This was the first time, but not the last time, that Jesus was wrapped in clothes, was it? Not bedclothes, but grave clothes. Jesus was born so that he could head toward a cross. As a Savior who was coming, yes, to wipe out sin and hell and death itself, but not wipe you out because he was willing to sacrifice himself and take your own punishment so that though you are guilty and though your sin has contributed to all that God must wipe clean for his joy to arrive in full, he will not wipe you out if you are connected to Jesus because he was willing to be wiped out on your behalf. Friends, joy is coming. Joy is coming for you in full if your faith is in Jesus. And so what ought we to do in response? Verse 4 gives us our marching orders, doesn't it? Isaiah says, for those of us who are privileged to be on this highway, he says, for us to say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold your God. Behold your God is coming. Friends, if your heart is anxious or fearful right now, say to your heart, Behold your God. Behold Jesus. Look at Him. Look at who He is. Look at what He's come to do for you. Look at the forgiveness that you have in Him. Look at the sacrifice that He made for you. Look at the lengths and the depths that He was willing to go so that you could rightly find your way on a highway to holiness leading you to joy. Look at Him. Tell your heart to look at Him. And if you haven't received him for the first time, then do it. Take him in faith and see if he doesn't give you his joy. The Behold the Lamb tour uh, put together by Andrew Peterson and his friends is a tour of music that is designed to answer Isaiah's call. Because what they do in this concert is invite you to sit down and behold your God. Yes, the Lion of Judah who conquers sin and hell and death itself, but also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, even your sin. 
And in those songs and in that experience, they're inviting you to look and they're showing you what to look for and to look at. And so here's an application for us, Grace and Peace Austin. During this Advent season and then after, can you find a way to get together with somebody else? Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe it's the men's group on Monday morning. Maybe it's in your dorm room with friends. But to say to one another, let's behold our God together. Let's behold our God who is bringing his fullness. Let's talk about the experiences in our life that feels more like garden than like desert and celebrate those together. Let's behold our God together in the way that he comes into our desert-like places with his fullness and his peace even now. Let's talk about that together. Let's behold our God who is even now bringing us joy. Let's try and count how many ways together we've experienced a moment of gladness that we can trace back to who God is for us. If we did that together, I'm almost certain that we would experience his joy. Not in full, but in truth. Friends, let me close us with our assurance of pardon from Zephaniah. Remind us again of this beautiful truth. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and he has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear no more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have come. Thank you that you are with us along the way. Some of us need your joy, maybe in ways that we don't even realize. And we pray that you would bring it. Some of us will have opportunities in the coming week to share your joy with somebody else. Would you give us the courage to take that moment and to say to somebody else, behold your God, behold the Lamb, behold Jesus, and we'll give you the glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.